Welcome to the Patricia King Podcast. We are going to build the kingdom of God in this hour. Jesus is sitting on the cloud. I believe that we are in the end time harvest season, but we're going to do exactly what he told The title um, of my message um, today is, What Are You Expecting? But before um, we get into the meat of that, I have praise reports. God is doing such amazing things in this hour. Absolutely amazing things. And there's so many people going out and reaching those that are in fear or who are acting aggressively. Uh, we just got a text from uh, Darren Stott from the Seattle Revival Center this morning, and they'd gone into Portland where all the riots were, and there was real heavy-duty stuff there, but they were praying for the sick. They were seeing miracles, people healed. They were preaching the gospel, reaching out to people with light, invading the darkness, and it was pretty wild. I mean, it was uh, like... There was a lot of wild stuff going on there, a lot of dangerous stuff, but they just took their light into the darkness. And we know that in Huntington Beach, there's been um, a great outpouring of the Spirit there. Um, In different places all around the nation, there have been a big harvest coming in, people getting baptized in the ocean. And God, it's it's like God is sending his people out. And I just want to encourage you that you might want to go find a dark place. You know, your light belongs in the darkness. Where are people struggling? Where are they? hurting? Where are they in need of a word? And sometimes we just need to walk the streets until we find that one person even that just needs the light and uh, share with them. So don't get so inside as we're in, you know, still being quarantined some. Let's not get so quarantined that we're not out there bringing our light into the darkness. We don't want a quarantine mentality where we're thinking just about the church. We want to think about the lost and those that don't know Jesus yet as their um, Savior and Lord. So let's move into the message now. It's what are you expecting? And your expectation is important because what you expect, you will draw into yourself in um, uh, Third John chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that in every respect you will prosper and be in health as your soul prospers or as your soul has an expectation, as your soul is full of Jesus, as it is aligned with him, and that you start attracting to yourself the things that you, you are expecting. And that expectation is cultivated by what you hear or what you are listening to. And in Mark 4, verse 24, Jesus said... Uh, to his disciples, take care what you are listening to. Take care what you are listening to, because by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. So let's say, for example, that you're listening nonstop to secular media, and all that's going out over secular media, and you're listening, 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 to the degree that you're listening to it, for for the measure that's going in, that is what's going to get established, and it will it will be given even more than that because it's like seed going in and uh, producing increase. So we need to be very careful in this hour in particular what we're listening to, who we're listening to. We need to have our ear close to the Lord because he wants to build our faith. He wants to establish us in his purpose, and we don't want to get it all mixed up with everything else that is out there. In Romans 10, 17, it says faith comes by hearing. And we know that as believers, our faith is built on how we hear 
God speaking. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In this hour, we need to discern as we're listening and as we're hearing different things, we need to discern between fact and truth. Facts are temporal, but truth is eternal. So there might be a crisis that you're in right now and you see all kinds of facts around you, but God has an eternal truth that he wants to introduce you to. So if you only listen to the fact, it could be a fact that you've been diagnosed with cancer, for example, but is that the truth? The truth is by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. And so we need to, to listen to the word, to the eternal word and to the voice of the spirit. Facts are temporal, they're subject to change, but truth is eternal and it's unchangeable. Secondly, we need to discern the Lord's voice and the enemy's voice. We need to discern between faith and fear because they're both faith in a way. One is faith in God and fear is the devil's faith. Number four, we need to discern between God's redemptive love and the devil's devouring hate. Number five, we need to discern between God's intended victory and the devil's intended destruction. So all those things are happening all at once right now. And so we need to zero in. We need to have our ears tuned in to what the Spirit is saying. And we need to be very careful regarding what we are listening to. What are we hearing? There's lots of word out there. Secular media has lots to say. And the prophetic voice of God through his church has lots to say. There's many people getting prophetic dreams, visions, words. And there's a variety of them. And some of them seem to contradict each other. Um, we know that um, you know, even in the body, there can be opposing uh, words coming out. One saying everything's going to be great. One saying you know, there's going to be devastation. And probably both... Both have truth in it, but you have to listen with the Lord. And I just want to say, when you hear words, don't just take it because someone said it. Go to the Lord and make inquiry of him and search the scriptures to see if these things be so. Don't believe something just because someone said it or because it appears like it's happening. Because the truth is found in the Lord. And it's extremely important right now that we hear God's voice in the midst of it. I know that there's um, a lot of things being said. For example, some of the things that are, are, are being spoken right now, uh, the pandemic is going to get worse before it gets better. Another wave of um, disaster is coming in the fall. There's economic unsettling that is going to increase. The USA is going to lose its place as a lead nation. China is going to merge through military control. Crime and violence are going to get worse. Anarchy is raising its head. Trump will surely get elected versus he might not. Uh, church will suffer persecution. The greatest move of God in history is at hand. The greatest harvest is at hand. The fulfillment of Isaiah 60 is at hand, and there will be great glory. So there's many things being said right now, and we need to tune our hearing in to what is God speaking, because even in some of the most uh, heaviest, weightiest things, we need to discern what is God's purpose inside of it. Because maybe he's doing some things to destroy the enemy. Maybe he's doing things to rescue people from the hand of evil. Maybe he has to do some things in order to bring clarity. And maybe at the same time, he's bringing 
destruction on the enemy and his works, that at the same time, he is going to birth the greatest revival, awakening, harvest, uh, reformation that has ever taken place in church history. So we need to go beyond what we're hearing through a single voice or, or a voice here and a voice here. We need to take everything to the Lord and say, Lord, what is your purpose in all this? What is the greatness? What is your redemptive um, uh, end to it all? And so everything's a possibility, but it depends on our expectation and our positioning as far as what we're going to receive for our lives. If you expect bad things to happen to you, I know I've, I've observed this my whole adult life. You know, even before I became a Christian, I observed that if you have a negativity factor at work within you and you're always expecting the worst, guess what happens? You get the worst because you expected it. At the same time, I have noticed, and again, even before I became a Christian, I observed that those who have great expectation for good things, guess what they get? They get good things because their expectation has produced it. Even people that aren't Christians. I know a couple who uh, were married for like over 60 years. And they uh, both lived the same life in that sense because they were a married couple. And the one, one of the married couples was negative about everything. And the other one of the married couple was positive about everything. So when I sat down and talked to them when they were in their 80s, the one said, I've had the worst life ever. Everything's been hard. Everything's been bitter. Everything has been gross, you know. And, and the spouse of that person said, well, my life's been absolutely great. It couldn't be better. It's just been wonderful. And I thought, wow, you are a married couple. You've been living together for all these years, and yet you both have had different experiences. The one, one spouse was always negative, their whole adult life always negative, always expecting the worst. But the other spouse always expected the best. And so I was listening to them talk, and the one spouse said to the other spouse, well, you're just in denial. You're so positive, but it's just denial. And, and I was observing this, and I thought, well, out of the two of you, I think denial works pretty good for as far as the outcome. If I'm in my 80s, and I can say I've had the best life ever because I denied some negativity. Maybe that's not a bad thing. All right. So we're living, we're living in very great times right now. Great times because God is doing great things. But also, they're very difficult and challenging times. And sometimes in the midst of difficult and challenging times, you have to look through them to see the great things that God is doing. Because, you know, you sit there, well, where's God in all this? Where is he? Well, go find him. Go look for him. Have an expectation to see what God is doing because he is doing great things. But that being said, I know, and I don't want to be insensitive here because I know that many have lost loved ones. It's been hard for them. Many have been sick. Uh, many have, have lost employment. We've never had this kind of unemployment issue for, um, for decades. I think back in the... Um, uh, um, uh, 2008 even, I think it surpassed it. Um, businesses have been lost. Uh, chaos, rebellion, hate, murderous spirits, all that stuff. It's very uh, factual. It is actually happening. But we cannot let our expectation be formed by the things that are going on around us or by what we're hearing through secular media or what's being reported or even what might 
be spoken to the church. We need to stir an expectation for God to move and for his redemptive power to be brought into the earth to bring full alignment to his purposes and kingdom advancement. When Jesus comes back for his church, and honestly, you know, I'm still weighing up what I feel about, you know, the end, what it's going to look like and that. But I do know this, that God's not coming back for a church that is hiding out in caves and eating tribulation food. He is coming back for a triumphant church, a glorious church, that he's not going to be embarrassed to say, this is my bride, okay? He is coming back for a glorious church. So I do know that for sure. Uh, when and how and everything that's going to be happening in the meantime, I'm not sure. But I know that God's not going to come and say, I've got to rescue my poor people who are suffering so bad. The devil's got them so bad down in the dust and in the dirt, and he's conquered them so bad, I better come and bring them out of it. It's not going to be like that. And so we're going to serve. Jesus all of our days with all of our heart, no matter what your eschatology is. It's 100% Jesus all the way, fired up for him all the way, every day to the very last breath. Amen? All right. So we want to hear God's voice, and we need to test the word that we hear, and always look for the scarlet thread, the redemptive thread through everything, because in this hour, it is going to be different than what we have lived through in the last 70 years. It is going to be different. There are going to be some heavy things happen that might shock you when they do. But if you're looking for Jesus, you will always see the redemptive thread in it. And that's why we need to, to have an expectation right now that is based on his redemptive love and purposes. He is a good God. And he is good in the hard times and he's good in the in the easy times he's good all the time and his goodness sometimes will have some very very strong tones to it his goodness sometimes will have disciplinary action to it. But if you look for the redemptive thread, it'll be there. If you look for it, you'll find it. And that will give you an expectation because that redemption says, I came to set you free. I came to purchase you out of the darkness. I came to set you free from anything that would harass you. I came to dissolve the power of sin and its grip on your life. I came so that you would have life. And when you look for that thread, that is the hope that you will live in, not only for yourself, but for the world around you. And the world right now needs that hope. And they're going to need it more in the days to come. And Shiloh, I'm just preparing you for what is coming. So we're going to lay hold of that thread. We're going to look for it. We're going to speak, uh, speak um, forth that thread and God's redemptive purposes. God is raising up people of insight. Daniel is really highlighted. And let me say this, is that in the book of Daniel, it actually um, says that it's sealed up for, for the end times. And so Daniel, only in this last maybe 40 years plus a bit, only in this last number of decades has been highlighted greatly in the body of Christ. Never before in church history was it highlighted in the same way. If you go trying to find commentaries on Daniel, uh, you'll find very few of them in the past, but you'll find many 
now because the seal is being opened and the book of Daniel is being opened up. And so there's a lot of revelatory insights inside of that. But in Daniel 12, 3, it says, those who have insight will shine brightly. And of course, this is following Daniel uh, 12, 1 and 2 that talks about one of the, the worst the, the worst time that has ever happened since nations have become nations um, is uh, coming, but God will protect his people. So he's warning about a very ferocious time, but God's people will be rescued, um, will be kept safe in it. It says those who have insight, and that's pertaining to this hour, will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead many to righteousness will be like the stars forever and ever. And in Daniel 12, 10, it says, many in this season will be purged and purified and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. And one of the things that I've been um, praying into recently is this separation that God is calling for right now. He has been, I mean, we've been prophesying this for over a year. In fact, in preparation for Rosh Hashanah last year, we had very strong messages calling um, an alignment to God's purposes and to really deal with anything that was in our way because God was going to shake everything that could be shaken and he would expose everything that was hidden and it would be shouted from the rooftops even. So that was like over a year ago, we started speaking that forth prophetically. But in this season, the Lord told me, he said, some in the body are going to embrace the purging process. They will embrace it. They will say, do whatever you need to do to me, Lord, to make me more pure before you. Now, we know that as far as the work of righteousness goes, that that is a gift and we can't produce that ourselves. But what we can do is align with him. So when he speaks the word, we give him our yes and we walk in the reality of that grace. And so as we are being convicted by the Holy Spirit in this hour, those that are his, his, his elect are going to say, yes, yes, I want that. I want to be more pure. I want to deal with the stuff. I've been, you know, really convicted of things in my own life. You know, um, what, what are you being convicted of? You know, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's um, negativity, offense, fear. These are all things that we, we have to bring before the Lord and say, yes, Lord, I want to be purged. I want to be cleansed. I want to be free from these things because I want your nature to shine. I want your nature to come forth. And so the heart of the righteous will have that kind of attitude. But if there is a, a root of wickedness, a bent towards wickedness, you're going to see it raise its head in this hour. And he said that none of the wicked... Um, uh, will we'll understand the wicked will act wickedly. They're just going to continue to act wickedly. So there's going to be a separation then between those who serve God and those who don't. And even in the church, you'll notice those who want to serve him and those who just want to go on in wickedness. And this is an, a, a, a very important uh, time. But he says, but those who have insight will understand. So God is giving us a heart to understand. So what can we expect then? If we're to stir our expectation, what should we expect? And you've heard, and I'll just keep preaching it until, or keep um, uh, releasing this revelation until, you know, we tip in the right direction. 
But um, ever since uh, uh, June the 27th, I have had a recurring vision of two baskets, and one of them was being filled with um, uh, sin and rebellion, and the other one was being filled with prayers and repentance. And the Holy Spirit said, one will produce a tipping point. And that is very critical. So we need to have our expectation released right now to create a tipping point of the right basket. Now, some of you might wonder, what is a tipping point? So I'll just define it quickly for you. Um, these are dictionary definitions. It says the tipping point is the critical point in an evolving situation that leads to a new and irreversible development. A tipping point is often considered to be a turning point. It is a critical moment in a complex situation in which a small influence or development produces a sudden, large, or irreversible change. And so it could be your prayer, your prayer, that you might think, well, it's just a small prayer, but it could be the very thing that tips the scales in favor of a great outpouring of the Spirit of God. Or it could be your sin that tips it to bring nations into bondage. And so let's make sure we're filling the right basket. Natural exam uh, examples of a tipping point would be, for example, a video that goes viral. You put the video out and some people watch it and all of a sudden there's a point where it flips over and before you know it, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people watch it. Another one is um, the the dynamic of snow. The difference between um, uh, 31 degrees and 34 degrees is just a three degree different in, in the Fahrenheit um, thermometer. But it doesn't feel much colder. When you have those three degrees, it doesn't feel much colder um, than the difference between 37 degrees and 34 degrees. But when that same three degree drop happens at the tipping point, which is 32 degrees, the rain becomes snow. See, it, 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 it changes. It changes form. And it's very, very important we understand this word of the Lord right now about the tipping point. And there's three factors that can actually uh, adjust, be adjusted to tip an idea to a social epidemic. It's the messenger, the message itself, and the context of that message. So there are um, three things that are involved as far as the dynamics of, of the tipping point. And one of them is the law of the few. And certain types of people are especially effective at spreading an infectious idea, product, or behavior. And one example I want to give you is the homosexual agenda. There was a very low percentage of people that agreed with homosexual agenda and gay marriage. Hardly anyone. I mean, the percentage was so low. And yet, um, many said it will never happen, not in America. But a very few, very few key people in key places shouted loud and they would not be silenced. And they actually produced a tipping point that changed the laws, that changed the mindset in society. Another example on a more, more uh, godly type of tipping point was uh, the early church. Do you know that there was only 120 people in that upper room that were anointed with the Holy Spirit and power? And as a result of their focus, as a result of their prayers, as a result of their uh, turning to God, 3,000 were added to the church in that 
in that one day. And as a result of that, we all have the gospel today and has been growing, growing, growing. Um, the second factor is called the stickiness factor. You can change the presentation of a message to make it more contagious and stickier, having a more lasting impact. So again, using homosexual agenda um, as, a, um, as an example, um, they, they highlighted the human rights um, the human rights focus rather than uh, a sexual moral issue. They, their, their message was appealing to people because it was all about human rights. And they downplayed the sexual immorality. They pushed it out of the way. And when the church tried to raise its voice, they just pushed it out of the way and kept this, this um, uh, human rights issue on the forefront. That's how they, they did it. They found the right need of the people. They knew what was going to hook into the people and went for it. Um, also, the example um, that we can see within the church and even in Jesus' ministry, in the early church, was miracle signs and wonders were used. And that's what caught the people's attention in that day was the miracle signs and wonders, the demonstration of the power of the Spirit. And that's why Paul said, um, don't just go out and, and preach an empty gospel. There needs to be an accompany of the power of God that will manifest his glory as the word goes forth. And the third um, factor is the power of context factor. And that is the environment in which the message or idea is delivered can have a huge impact on whether enough people adopt and spread it to create an epidemic. So again, using the homosexual agenda, there was a generation that was not parented. They were lock key kids. They were, um, they wanted to be loved. And so media, the, the homosexual community and those leading it, use media to hook into that, that emotion and that need. And so you saw it on, in the movies, you saw it in TV programs, um, you saw it uh, uh, taught, displayed, lived out, acted out. It was promoted in books. And so we must, by the way, possess and occupy that media mountain because the homosexual agenda actually reached the masses through media. That was their biggest uh, way of changing the mindset of society because they could model their good picture to those that would be looking at it saying, yeah, that might be really good and that fits my need. They hooked right into the needs of the people. Now the church, um, when when the church was birthed, what what um, the people were being oppressed by in that day was religious disillusionment, political oppression. And so they, they spoke the freedom of Jesus Christ and the, and, and the kingdom of God right into that place, right into the, the needs of the people who were tremendously oppressed. And of course, it's become an unstoppable movement. The kingdom is unstoppable, um, and it's in the earth to this very day. And the Bible, by the way, became the best-selling book year after year, decade after decade, century after century. So let's look at the two possible tipping points today that I mentioned. The first basket was sin and rebellion. And if if that tips, if we, if, if we fill that basket and it tips over before the prayer and the uh, uh, repentance, we are, we are going to see the enemy have power because we give the enemy power 
It's his only power is what we give him. And that comes through, through choosing sin in our life, and especially the church, because the church has the most authority, because Jesus gave us his authority. So when we choose to sin and do not repent, and we're deliberately sinning, and it's not cleansed or washed clean, we are actually saying, devil, here you go. You have my authority. And when he gets the masses authority, and especially in the church, when he can turn the church into sin, he says, okay, I've got a landing strip now. Uh, the prince of this world is coming, church, and, you know, I've got something in you, so I get to control. And it's a very, very dangerous thing. And I can't preach that enough. Sin is not okay. And if you're in it, you need to leave it, please, because your future and the future of the nation is determined by your choices right now. And in the church especially, I'm addressing the church right now because we have to take responsibility. There is pride. There is gossip. There is immorality. There is pornography. There are people having abortions. There are people getting drunk. There are, uh, you know, people smoking marijuana and getting high on it. I had a dream about someone just the other night who was a Christian doing that. And, and it's like, that is not okay. It is not okay to just say, oh, well, Jesus loves me and uh, my name's written in the book of life. Yeah, your name is written in the book of life. But what you do, your choices do make a difference, not only for your life, but for the, the, the nation that you're living for, for your children, for your grandchildren. And it says very clearly in in Romans 6, 16, that whoever you submit yourself to, that's whose slave you become. If you submit yourself to sin, you become sin's slave. And so we need to uh, preach this because there hasn't been enough preaching. You might say, I don't like hearing that about sin. Well, hear it. It's just good for you. It's like I remember my kids didn't like spinach either, but we just made them eat it, okay? It's good for you. Also, sin has consequences. In Galatians 6, 7, and 8, um, you know, it says that, that if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. It's a given. This is New Testament written by the apostle of grace. The apostle of grace said... Whatever you sow to, that's what you're going to reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. So we don't want to reap corruption. I don't want to reap corruption in my life. I only want good things in my life. Don't you want good things in your life? Don't you want your life to be beautiful with all the blessings that God promised you? Well, sin isn't going to get you there. And also, again, that corruption, it, it tips the tips the basket, and it affects the nations, it affects the generations. And, you know, um, in Israel and Judah were both held in Babylonian captivity because they didn't heed the warnings. There are so many warnings right now. People who never have issued warnings in their whole Christian ministry are issuing them now. They're having dreams. I had someone just contact me this week, just a few days ago, with a, a terrifying dream that they had on July 22nd, the same night that I got woken up in the night with a, with a real eerie 
thing going on. I was just compelled to pray because it was a dangerous thing going on in the spirit. And uh, the Lord told me, he said, you need to pray for the United States of America right now because China is doing something in behind the scenes. It's, it's, it's involving technology and they're going to try to break into the security system of the United States. So I prayed into it. Within 48 hours, the Chinese embassy was shut down in Houston because they were caught hacking into the security system. I tell you, we cannot be lazy right now. We cannot be. And people who, who just don't get these warnings, this, this uh, woman of God, her and her husband are in full-time ministry, and, and their message is not, you know, giving warnings. But she was compelled to because of what the Lord was um, bringing in the dream. So don't take this lightly because Jeremiah, as one of the prophets, warned Israel and Judah regarding repentance because they were in sin and listen to this in jeremiah 25 3 to 7 it says from the 13th year of josiah the son of ammon king of judah even to this day these 23 years 23 years the word of the lord has come to me and i've spoken to you again and again but you have not listened and the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear, saying, turn now everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds and dwell in the land which the Lord has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. And do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them and do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands and I will do you no harm yet. You have not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Whoa. So Israel and Judah actually had the words of the prophets. 23 years God was speaking to them. That's patience. 23 years God is lovingly telling them to turn away from their evil ways so that they would live in his goodness. And they refused. They just kept doing their thing. Sound familiar? They just kept doing their thing. So what happened? You know what happened. Babylon conquered them and they lived in captivity for 70 years. They had children born into captivity for one reason only. They did not repent. If they had have repented and taken the warning of God seriously, they would not have been held captive in Babylon. In fact, they probably would have overcome Babylon and seized it. God is well able to do that, no matter how brutal or powerful the nation is. But the factor that was in their way was a lack of repentance. And because of that, they sold themselves into bondage. God made appeal. He's a loving God. He's a good God all the time. He's a redeemer. Can you hear his redemptive voice for 23 years saying, please turn away, turn away, turn away. But it got to a point where there was no more grace left because they sowed so much the basket tipped. And the Babylonians took the power. And they had every right to do so because God's people gave them the power. And I'm telling you, this is a serious hour. And God wants us to have an expectation for good. And so we've got to make sure that we're aligning properly. 
I was in a few situations over this last week, just over a week, a few situations have come to mind of people in ministry who are blatantly, they know better, they're blatantly in sin and not coming out of it. Choosing not to. Choosing to love the sin. They're going to damage their marriages, damage their family, damage the church. And all they care about is themselves and their pleasures. And God is saying, 23 years, he addressed this issue. Repent, repent from your idols. Is your sexuality your idol? Is your money your idol? Is your, is, is your, is your well-being your idol? What is your idol? Because God's saying, turn away from it. Because I want to bless you. But if you don't turn away, you're going to be given over to your enemies. And for the USA right now, that's a, a very dangerous thing is lurking. I'm telling you, it is lurking. We see other examples in the New Testament. And I'll just go right to the book of Revelation because Jesus himself dictated these letters. Jesus himself. After he went to the cross, after he was resurrected, after he was seated at the right hand of the Father. He said that there's consequences if you don't repent. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus. In verse 5, he said, Therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. This is New Testament, church of Pergamum. Therefore repent or else I'm coming to you quickly and will make war with them with the sword of my mouth. The church of Thyatira, they were tolerating Jezebel. And he says in Revelation 2, 21 to 23, I gave her time to repent. I gave her time, maybe 23 years, maybe 23 months. The time to repent, for us to repent, when the Lord convicts you, the time to repent is now, right now. And anything that delays beyond that, the consequence is the mercy of God, the great mercy of God. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. Come on, are we listening? Are we listening? Are we tolerating Jezebel within the church? Are we tolerating immorality? Are we tolerating idolatry in the church? And he said, and I will kill her children. I will kill her children with pestilence. This is Jesus speaking. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and hearts. And I will give to each one according to your deeds. Whew. Sin and rebellion will produce an unwanted tipping point. Not only for today, but for coming generations. And it's just, we just don't want to go there right now. We need to fear the Lord. And if you do continue to love your fleshy pleasures and you sell your birthright for a single meal, there's eternal consequences for that. I know, I know some of you watching don't like that kind of preaching because you, you've been studying some of the word, but not all of the word. Prayer and repentance is the other basket. This is where we're going to put our expectation. I love this. The prayer and repentance basket releases forgiveness and a clean slate. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the devil loses his power 
because of the Lord's goodness to us, that when we've done wrong and deserving of great consequence, when we come before him and say, God, I am so sorry, forgive me. He forgives and he cleanses and the devil loses his power. And we should live our life like that constantly. Whenever you have a conviction, say, oh, thank you for that blood, Lord. I, I receive your forgiveness. I'm turning away from this, this attitude or word or deed that I'm doing. And it also releases open heavens and releases favor and glory. I would rather have that than destruction and judgment. Matthew 3, 16, 17, after being baptized, and Jesus was baptized here, the baptism in water, with water, and it says that is for repentance. But Jesus didn't need to repent because he hadn't sinned. <laughs> so why was he getting baptized so that all righteousness would be fulfilled? He was repenting for you and I. The reason why you have the ability to repent, the reason why you have the grace to repent is Jesus did it for you. And he did it as you. So get inside of that with your faith and lay hold of it. Because what happened when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. If we want glory if we want glory, and if we want the manifest presence of God, and if we want the favor connection with God, there's no shortcut. It's alignment. We have to enter inside the repentance that Jesus purchased for us. We need to manifest that repentance, partner with it. And thirdly, um, repentance and prayer empowers and refreshes in Acts 3, 19. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins will be wiped away in order that times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord. Again, this is New Testament. And looking again at the example of Jonah and, and uh, Nineveh, I just want to look at some scripture here because it's so brilliant. God's heart is so brilliant. It says in verse um, uh, 3 of chapter 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And Nineveh, by the way, was a very brutal place. Um, uh, they tortured their captives and it was the capital of Assyria, which was Israel's enemy. And uh, But the greatest uh, spiritual awakening written up in the Bible took place here. But it was a, a, a brutal, like horrible nation. And it would be hard to be a prophet going into, into a city like Nineveh and saying, you know, you're going to be judged. That, that, you know, no wonder he tried to run from it. Okay. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Do you see any possible negotiation there? No. It's just a done deal. God said, 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And then immediately, I love this, then the people of Nineveh believed in God and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he 
arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, that's his, his kingly garment, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat on the ashes. And he issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, hurt, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let the men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw their deeds, that they turned away from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared that he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now, Jonah's word was very simple. I mean, when Jonah went out, you know, he's walking. It's a three-day, takes three days to walk Nineveh. There was about a million people in Nineveh at the time. It took him three days to walk, and he declared, you're going to be overthrown. Forty days, you're going to be overthrown. That was a simple word, hard one, simple. But they believed it. They actually believed it, and as a result of that, they turned to God and started crying out to God. And they're repenting. The whole nation is repenting. They were smart. Oh, if we would be so smart right now. It was just one little word, and they turned. And God saw that they turned. And here's this, this I mean, they would, do, <coughs> they would do horrible things, horrible things. Marcel, if you could bring me some water, some cough syrup, things. <coughs> Thank you. They would do horrible things. They were brutal. But with one move of God, turning their heart toward God, and receiving, receiving his grace, it changed everything. <clears throat> so what's our expectation in this critical hour? Are we going to have judgment? Are we expecting judgment? Are we expecting calamity? Are we expecting oppression, economic collapse, increased sickness, national takeover? Many are prophesying that China through military might, is going to come in and conquer. And the USA will no longer be a lead nation. And I said to some people I was processing that with this last week, I, I said, if that is a true word from the Lord, we need to really pray and get things right. Because you do not want that to happen. And if it happens to the US, there's many people around the world that would love to see the US lose its place. But I'm telling you, if the U.S. gets conquered by communism, you're coming next. The free world, will, the free world, world will go down like dominoes. I tell you, this is an extremely serious hour for those nations who are founded on the Bible principles on Christ. It's really sad, also, that they're not even called Christian nations anymore. They're called multicultural nations. They took the Christian nation out of the equation. Muslim nations, they still call themselves Muslim nations. Just saying. So we can have judgment. We can have calamity, oppression. And honestly, I don't think that we should be expecting that because if our expectation is there, it means that we are all failing and that we're not going to repent and that we're not going to make things right with God. So if we have an expect, expectation, even if you feel it's something God has shown you that is 
a possibility out there that the nation's going to crumble, this is going to die, you know, communism's going to take over. Even if you feel that God has shown you that, your expectation should be to look for the scarlet thread. Because if it's not there, that means that there's no repentance. There's no turning to God. And that's, that's what will cause those things to happen. We have to create the tipping point. We have to have an expectation in us to create that tipping point. We can't just sit back and say, yeah, I'm just waiting for the fall to come because I heard that terrible things are going to happen and we'll just see, make sure that happens. We can't do that. We've got to cry out. We've got to go into the presence of God and cry out and say, no, God, I put expectation on your mercy and I believe that you can bring a move of conviction upon us and the move of the fear of the Lord on us that is so holy and so powerful that everyone will turn just like they did in Nineveh everyone turned that's where our expectation has to be because if we will turn what do we get instead we get an awakening we get an outpouring of revival the greatest harvest that has ever come in we get reformation and I know that some are saying, yeah, 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 but it's the end. And they're, you know, it's just inevitable. Look at the end's going to come when people don't turn to God. That's when the end comes. Is when the gospel has been offered to everyone, but people don't turn. They refuse to turn. And that's what brings some of the horrific events we're going to see. But does that have to be our generation? Do you have to be a person who doesn't turn and say, yep, I was in that last day's generation who is just rebellious and I refused to turn and so did the people of my day. And so all hell literally broke loose. No, that cannot be our expectation. That's not my expectation for you. It's not my expectation for my generation. It is not my expectation for my children or my grandchildren. My expectation is that we will rise up and serve the Lord with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our strength. And if we can produce a tipping point, this is why the tipping point is important. If you love the Lord personally with all your heart, mind, and strength, if you love him like that personally, you're going to be just fine. No matter what's going on, I'm going to be fine. If, even if communism took over, I will be just fine because the glory of God is in me. I'm aligned to him. I love him with all my heart. I don't have anything else I want more than him. I will be just fine. But what about others? What about the others around me? I can't live selfishly like that. I can't say, yeah, let's just let the nation go to pot. They deserve it anyways. Are you kidding? That's not the scarlet thread. That's not the redemptive heart of God. He's saying, pray, pray. He gave, he just spoke over and over and over and over and over again, year after year after year to Israel, to Judah, so that they wouldn't go into captivity. He, he had everything. It was the last resort of what happened when he had to turn them over. But it is not too late yet to turn this around. It is not too late. We can have an expectation to turn it all around. What if the mighty, powerful conviction of the Holy Spirit filled the air of our city today or the nation or the White House? What if people are screaming and crying out for the mercy of God because his sovereign power was released by those who had expectation for it? If you have, oh yeah, I'm just going to wait for those doom and gloom prophecies to come to pass and then I'll just have another feather in my bonnet. 
No, that is not the heart of Jesus. Jesus didn't die for that. Jesus died that we would all be saved. Jesus died that we would turn. And we've got a battle. Yes, we have a battle. We have a battle in the church today. There is sin in the church that we should not even have to speak about. It is so perverse. It is so horrible. But God is great in the midst of it. And if people do want to go on, no matter what happens in their evil ways, they have to go on outside the church because Jesus is going to help us come into alignment. And he will do. If we don't choose it ourselves, he will have to do it. If we don't choose it ourselves, he will have to do it. But I have an expectation that we're smarter we're smarter than giving ourselves over to sin. Do we have such a spirit of stupid on us that we choose what will destroy us and our family? Are you kidding? I'm, t I'm talking strong right now because I'm desperate. I'm really desperate. I was on the phone with Barbara Yoder yesterday, and she was having a lot of visitations and that too. And she says, what can we do? What can we do to, to get people praying more? What can we do to get them, get them positioned more? And I said, I don't know what to do more. I'm, I'm blowing the trumpet as loud as I can. I'm calling a nation to prayer. I'm calling, I'm calling forth righteousness. I don't know what else to do. I'm starting to feel like Jeremiah the weeping prophet. We have to get there. We cannot be complacent. I'm telling you, destruction could come today. Destruction could come today. Destruction could come in a month if we do not turn. If we do not turn, it can come. But that's not my expectation. My expectation is in the goodness of God. My expectation is in, in the, the, the wisdom that I believe is in most Christians that they wouldn't be working against God, but that they would be working for him. We can have either, or depending on our expectations, we can have either of those things mentioned. We can have great awakening or we can have great destruction. How are we positioning ourselves before God? Because he's shaking everything that can be shaken. Um, my messages have been so long lately and I'm sorry but I just feel I just feel like we need to hear the coronavirus I believe shook down a lot of idols I don't believe personally I do not believe that God created a virus to kill people and make them sick but I do believe that it is a consequence of sin and that God is definitely using it and I believe that he has revealed idols in the church's life through this. And he is actually calling the church to judge our own hearts in this even. And one of the idols, I think, you know, there's a lot of controversy right now whether we should be obeying the government, uh, the government's guidelines, or if we should just be blatant and go out there and keep worshiping and keep, keep having meetings and stuff like that. And... I just feel like you have to do what God's telling you to do. And as long as it's in peace and not in rebellion. But if God's leading you to keep your church doors open or leading you to host a conference, leading you to attend one, then you should. But if he's leading you 
to not, then you should obey that too. And I don't think one is right or one is wrong. It depends on what God is saying. Now, if you do contrary to what God's speaking to you, that's different. But just do what he's telling you to do. And I feel like just a blatant statement to say that we have to be in church and we have to gather and we have to do this or we're just not protecting our faith is not true. I don't believe that. Might be in some cases, but not overall. And I also noticed this is that when, when COVID hit, overnight churches were shut down. They couldn't meet, but neither could they meet in dance halls, neither could they meet in the bars. It all got shut down. It wasn't just the churches. It got shut down because they were trying to protect the people from the spread of the virus. Whether that was legitimate, uh, legitimate wisdom or not, it's what they thought was wisdom at the time. So it, it is what it is. But I think God really did something in it. Because in John 2, we see Jesus... Um, going into the temple, and this was at the first Passover, that is the, the subtitle in my Bible, first Passover, cleanse, cleansing the temple. <laughs> and the COVID virus came and the churches were shut down just before Passover this year. Jesus in John 2 went into the temple and he drove out the money changers, their animals, and turned over their tables. And he said, my father's house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he addressed it. First Passover, cleansing the temple. And then he said um, later, he said, if you tear down this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. And they said, what? It took us over 40 years to build this building. He, and he said, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the body, my body. And I feel that there's been an idolatry in ministry. I've been sharing this out a little bit. I remember when we first went into ministry, we were called of God to leave our places of secular employment, to serve him full time in speaking and missions work, evangelism, and that, it was an honor to give up. We sacrificed everything. We sacrificed our homes, our careers. It was a joy to lay it all down to go and serve him. That was the expectation. That was the language back in that day. Take up your cross and follow him. Do whatever it takes to obey him. And so we did. And oftentimes we would, you know, travel by vehicle. We'd believe God for all of our expenses to get there. We'd be, you know, in a way isolated place for three, three days or more. And we would work day and night, day and night, sometimes not getting to bed till two or three in the morning because of praying for all the people that needed prayer. And God would move so beautifully and it was so awesome. And there was no name written in lights, believe me. There was not even a, I mean, back then we didn't have social media, so you couldn't blast it over anywhere. It was just between you and God. You felt the pleasure of his heart seeing the people, people met. And that's what we were as ministers. We were hidden vessels of the Lord ministering his goodness. And somehow over the years, over the decades, especially in the 1990s, there became this, 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 this stigma of celebrity mindset and and money, and you know, it got to a point where people, well, I just want to see my next gig. I, I just want to get my next meeting. I just want to, you know, get connected with some people so I can grow my ministry. I'm hiring a branding company so I can get my ministry in lights. I'm paying so-and-so so that they can put me on their program and I can get more exposure. I'm thinking, what happened? 
when we were hosting events back, back in the day, a lot of events, we would sometimes get from the ministers that we invited saying, yes, I can come, but I need so many thousand dollars per session. I need two first class tickets. I need this. I need that. And I thought, where did this come from? And churches started being formed, and it was like the language of how big is your church? How many people do you have? Not how precious it is to God. It was just like, how big are you growing it? How, how fantastic is it? Are you known in the city as the pastor who's got the largest church or whatever? And it's just like no care for the, the sheep, per se. It was all about growing the corporation. And it just got out of hand. And you know what? When COVID hit, it all came down overnight. Nobody could meet. So you know what they had to do? You know what happened the very first week of the shutdown? You know what happened? Prayer meetings. Jesus said, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. You know what the first thing that happened when they shut down? Prayer meetings, online prayer meetings, where, where masses of people were praying around the world, where leaders were coming together on prayer Zoom calls that went out over social media. I did five prayer meetings in one day and two conferences in one day. One of the prayer meetings was five hours long. I didn't stay on it that long because I had other, other things to do, but it was five hours long. And when I checked the uh, numbers, the views, it was over a quarter of a million people in prayer meetings in that 24-hour period. Unprecedented. So even though you might say, oh, this is the devil shutting down the church, it could be God. It could be God wants us to reset because of the great thing that he's about to do. He's going to do something so big, but it doesn't take us attending a church service or attending a conference. It takes us bringing our heart before him and going into prayer and reestablishing the things that are needed to bring about this next move. And so often we can get comfortable in just attending a church service. Believe me, I love the local church and I love attending church. Even when you're not in church, I'm in church, okay? I love church. I love the local house. We all should. But God is doing something so powerful in this hour that if we will go before him and get our own lives aligned before him and reestablish and reset our personal devotion. You know, ministers were so busy doing the ministry. And I can attest to this myself. You get so busy doing the stuff that you neglect the important things. And instead of doing three hours of prayer, you're doing 10 minutes. Instead of reading your Bible for an hour, you're, you're on the run listening to podcasts along the way. That's not what God's calling for. Why is he shutting things down? So that we can reset, so that the great thing that he's about to do, and we should have expectation for it, because I believe, I believe that we can give birth to the greatest move that history has ever known. But it's not going to come by just showing up in a church service or showing up in a conference and saying, oh, I got my jollies again. I got another blast of the spirit. I got prophesied over. God's saying, as much of a blessing that is, that's not what I'm looking for right now. I'm looking for your heart. I'm looking for your focus. I'm looking for your attention. No more money changers. No more this. No more that. No more people not caring for one another. You know what the money changers were doing in that day? When people came from afar, 
They didn't have to carry their sacrifice. They didn't have to carry their sheep or their goats with them for the sacrifice. God made it so that they could just purchase it there. They could purchase their doves or their sheep or whatever. And the money changers and, and, and the merchants that were in, in the temple, they were ripping the people off and they were, they were selling them maimed creatures like lambs with broken legs or doves with broken limbs so that the people couldn't even give a right offering to God because they were, they were taken advantage of by the leaders. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why most churches, and I'm not saying that if you're not functioning in a church, you know, if you're not having church service, that you are doing something wrong. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that God wants to give some, some birthing to something so big, and he wants us to cleanse the church, the church, the, the body of Christ globally, and go into prayer and reset things and get it in its right perspective because of what he's doing. Now, if in the meantime there's some churches open, some conferences open, fantastic. Go and enjoy and imbibe and really do it, but don't neglect what he's really looking for in this hour, and that's bringing your heart before him. We also know that media is extremely important right now. Um, media, media is doing so much damage. Secular media is doing so much damage. We have to overtake it. Media itself isn't evil. It's what is communicated in it. And we have to possess and occupy that mountain. And so by shutting down media isn't going to do it. And as a ministry, we don't intend to shut it down. In fact, we're doing more than we've ever done before, and we intend to escalate even more. And I want to encourage you to do it. You've got social media. Anyone can do it for free. We happen to have it for free. You don't even have to pay for it like we used to have to pay for you know, all the television production, the airtime, all of that. Now you can do social media for free. The sports, what, what about the idol of the sports? Do you know that it got so insane that the, the salaries and the, the, uh, the, the celebrity mindset and the idolatry of sports was so crazy. People weren't even showing up at church on Sundays because there was a sports game. Or they had to take their children to their sports game. The sports invaded invaded the Lord's place in many people's lives. But you know what? When COVID hit, overnight, sports was shut down everywhere. They couldn't even practice. Education. Education got so out of hand that parents couldn't even parent their children. They were being told that if you, if you address sexual orientation issues with your, your child, we could take your child away. That's what it says, I know, in one place in Canada, for sure. And I know things were leaning that way in some places in the USA. So overnight, the schools were shut down, overnight. And children are at home again with their families. Hollywood got shut down overnight. The movie theaters were closed. And all those movies that they made, they had nowhere to distribute them because the movie theaters were, were closed. The love of money. What happened is that money got cut off, investors fell, the stock market fell, all of that. Overnight, that all happened. People were losing their jobs, their employment, what they trusted in for their money. That, that came down overnight. Beauty. People were spending so much, even in the church, so much money on outward appearance that it was... Like an, 
idol. They would even say, well, what brand do you have of this? What brand do you have of that? Have you had your $40,000 plastic surgery done yet or whatever? It got so crazy. So when COVID came, you couldn't even get a haircut, let alone plastic surgery. And you couldn't get a manicure, a pedicure. It was all shut down. And what about food? The idol of food. And our restaurants were shut down. There are certain foods you couldn't even get you couldn't even get on the um, shelves. So God's getting our, our attention. And again, I want to say, I don't think he created a virus, but I think he's using it. I think our sin created the open door for the enemy to bring forth the consequence that we've given over to. So we have two expectations and options. Option number one is Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you an expected end or a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Expectation option number two is Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. But if you go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment. The only time when you should have an expectation of judgment is if you're in this state, if you're willfully sinning. Otherwise, we, we need to cry out for uh, mercy for those that are set up that way, and the fury of a fire which will concern the adversaries. So what would you like to expect? Where do you want your expectation to lie? Do you want all the consequences of sin, or do you want a great move of the Spirit and the advancement of the kingdom? Where's your expectation? Because you can create a tipping point. We can. Together, we can. For righteousness, for glory, for the Lord's power. And again, the key scripture by almost every prophet I know right now is Second Chronicles 7.14. And we can't take it lightly just because it said over and over and over again. The, the, the reason why it's being said over and over and over again is because we don't have it yet. But there's four criteria. We have to humble ourselves. We have to pray. And we must pray. And by the way, if you are not on the firewall yet, USA, firewallusa.com, go there right now and sign up for it. Pray an hour a day or an hour a week. Pledge your time and let's storm. We can, we can create a tipping point. We need your prayers. Thirdly, we seek the Lord's face. That's intimate connection with the Lord. That's coming before him, not just attending a service, but coming before him. And then Finally, turn away from your wicked ways, your wicked ways, not looking at everyone else's wicked ways. We're looking at our, our heart and saying, God, if there's anything, create a clean heart in me. Conviction and repentance are vital. God can turn everything around. He can turn everything around. In Romans 5.20, I have such great hope because it says where sin has increased, grace abounded all the more. In Isaiah 59.19 and 20, it says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him and the redeemer will come to Zion. Hallelujah. So let's be those who listen to God, because it's going to be measured back to us according to what we listen. Are you listening to a God that's saying, I'm doing everything I can, everything I can to, 
to get the attention of the hearts of my people because I want to turn things around. I want to do something so big and so glorious that it'll boggle your mind, that you won't even be able to stand it. You won't be able to comprehend it because it's going to be that big. And I'm telling you, church, Shiloh is going to be involved in that. And we have a, a very neat phenomena happening. There's all kinds of people moving in here from, from all over getting the nudge from the Spirit saying, move to Maricopa. You're supposed to leave where you are and move to Maricopa. And these are these are also ministry leaders with their own ministries. They're saying, I need to go to Maricopa. I need to get connected with Shiloh. They've got their own ministries, but we're, we're creating a hub here. It's like a hub for ministries. And I feel that the fire of God's going to come on us, and we're going to be carriers of that fire, and there's going to be something great happen right here. God's setting us up for it. That's why there's all these real sober words coming out right now, words that are demanding an alignment because of what God wants to give us. And I think that we should get so expectant because of what God is doing. You know, in uh, June, we had uh, 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 Heather and Dustin Williams move. In July, we had the Powells move here. In August, we're having Elizabeth Time Fook moving here. Uh, later in the fall, we're having um, uh, um, uh, Rob and Millie Rodos I mean, it's just all the time. And I was, you know, visiting people today saying, yeah, we're called to move to Maricopa. It's like, okay, what are you doing here? Maricopa means the, uh, people drawn to the water. <laughs> Come on. We want revival. We want harvest. We want the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Amen. Is that what your expectation? Yeah. Can you dream big about how God is going to be using you in these days and power will flow and fire will flow and blessing will flow because he is so amazing in you and because you have an expectation for that? I tell you, God is going to do great things. Put your expectation high. Every promise you can say yes and amen to when you're in Christ Jesus. And there's so many good things he wants to give you. And when you're aligned to him like that, everything works out well. Everything. Everything works out well. But we don't want it just for ourselves. We can't live just for ourselves. We have to pray and lay our lives down for those who aren't in the same place as we are right now. And God can turn their heart. If he could turn Nineveh, <laughs> if he could turn Nineveh, every single person in that city, oh my gosh, they turned to God. They turned to God. And they had revival. It's just amazing. We can do that. So I'm going to pray for you right now. And I just want you to, to just, you know, lift your heart before the Lord. Commit it to him and say, Lord, I want to love you with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength, with all that is within me. And Lord, I just pray for exceeding great grace to come upon each one that has that desire. And let the burning fire of your passionate love blaze on the inside of their being in every every part of their being. Let them be a spokesperson for your redemptive purposes. Lord God, let there be the strong uh, warning that you're giving because you love us so much, but also a view to redemptive purposes. 
Thank you, Lord, for the scarlet thread. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood that was shed on Calvary. Thank you, Lord, for your commitment to us in this hour. And so now, Lord, we cry out for you. And I pray for an intercessory prayer anointing, a fresh outpouring of the Spirit to come upon you now in Jesus' name. Let it burn in you. Let it burn in you, oh, Lord, that we might be releasing that sweet fragrance in Jesus' name before your throne day and night, day and night, day and night. Amen. It's Patricia's heart to build your faith, empower your love walk, and equip you for effective service in the kingdom. She prays you were richly blessed by this message. For more information about other Patricia King resources, events, or ministry partnership, connect with her on patriciaking.com. Also, follow her on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and iTunes podcast.